Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowe, and myself continue our discussion on Holy Communion. Welcome to Being Lutheran. We are a podcast, and you're listening. And I have my friends here with me. Hi, Captain Obvious. I'm Pastor yes. Jason Goodham. <laughs> and I'm Pastor Brian Rickey. And our powers combined. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Voltron. Or no, like, no, uh... Captain Planet. Cap- yeah, Captain Planet. It is Planet. one of the Captain classic, awful Planet. 90s. Yes. Uh, it, not, not only was Captain Planet just the height of um, all 90s animated cheese, yes. the theme song Captain is, is so ridiculously awful, it's awesome. Captain Planet. I've never he's heard of that our cartoon. Hero, gonna bring pollution down to zero. <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard of Captain uh, wow. Planet? No. It's like it's like Voltron for environmentalists. Yes. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> no. Back when um, MacGyver was the environmentalist and not wow. everyone. 90s I was watching a lot of cartoons with my kids like Thomas the Tank and Oh no, no. Oh, this is right. this Bob is like Builder after and, school yes. fourth grader stuff. Oh wow. Yep. Yeah, no, you had, you had Captain one. Planet, and you had yes. Carmen Sandiego, oh, and you had wow. Ghost Rider, the glory and days. Ducktales, yes. uh, Tailspin. Perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm lumping some some fans are offended that I've lumped all those together. Animaniacs was Animaniacs, still my favorite. It, that's one of my yeah. favorite. I have mm-hmm. all of them. On ah, disc. Yeah. <laughs> Animaniacs is the oh, height of animated comedy. That, that cartoon yeah. was not for kids; it was for adults. <laughs> I love it. It's so funny, and they make so many wonderful. Digs and into mm-hmm. people in society. It was awesome. Since we're way off topic on this, I will yes. give my personal opinion on that. The single greatest sketch on Animaniacs was Slappy the Squirrel <laughs> and her nephew doing the Who's on First routine yes. with the bands from Woodstock. Yeah, that was yeah. amazing. It was that great. is the best. Oh, Whoever wrote wow. that, yeah, uh, I mean, genius, those writers, man. seriously. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So today we're continuing uh, right. our yes, discussion. Yeah, another right. perfect Lord way suffer. to induce uh, to introduce Holy Communion. I'm sorry, is Robert, I, I've dropped the ball literally um, yeah. uh, being our our point guard here. But yeah, we are, we're talking about the Lord's Supper again and uh, talking about uh, who is to receive it. We talked last time about the benefits and we talked the time before about what it is. And so today we're talking about who. The who. who uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so who is to receive it? Boy, this is this is an interesting question because cropping up in Lutheran circles mm-hmm. um, in, in recent years, there's been a growing debate and analysis of what's referred to as pedo communion mm-hmm. or children receiving communion. Yep. Infant, it's, infant, or not quite infant communion. Yeah, or infant communion, which takes it to an, another level mm-hmm. entirely. Um, we're not going to have that argument here, and, and sorry for being so unsatisfactory on it. A part of that, to put the best construction on those debates, is again a confession from the Lutheran Church that confirmation as a system is at least partially mm-hmm. broken because we simply treat it as an arbitrary, a lot of yeah. times in, in Lutheran circles, it's basically our equivalent of the age of accountability. Yeah, right. You hit 12, well, we best train you in the faith for two years. And, and the problem with it is not only the arbitrariness 
of mm-hmm. confirmation, but it, it's, it's treated in a lot of Lutheran circles as a graduation mm-hmm. from the basics of the faith. We've touched on that a little bit. In fact, the gal I was, commu- uh, was confirmed in the class of two, the gal I was confirmed with uh, in my church up in Grand Forks, I never saw again. Mm-hmm. The, the day of our yeah, confirmation was right. the last day I ever saw her. To um, this day? To this day. Wow. You know, in how what was that was 25 years ago now I was confirmed. You're old. Yeah, I am old. O-L-D. But, you know, it's we're not going to get into the who as far as age, but a reminder that the who should receive communion is a believer. Mm-hmm. That we're, yeah, we're talking right. about someone who has faith. And again, not in a way that their faith validates Mm-hmm. the effectiveness of communion, but that they are the targeted recipients of the sacrament according to Christ's mm-hmm. institution. This is the primary answer to the unworthy clause from mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 11. How yeah. do we receive communion unworthily? First and foremost, it is received apart from faith, mm-hmm. and that looks like unrepentance. And so communion is for the believer, mm-hmm. communion is for the repentant, and then right. we, we get into issues of fellowship in Lutheran theology yeah, too, yeah. in confessing our differences of communion. Communion in the Lutheran church is for those who recognize the body and blood of Christ are really present in with and under the bread and wine of communion. Yep. And we say that because to commune together, to establish that unity is to recognize that those differences at the altar wouldn't matter for some reason, which is why we have that mm-hmm. distinctive in the Lutheran church as far as the unworthy clause is concerned. Can't remember where, which document this comes from, but maybe somewhere in our AFLC statements of faith, maybe. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm bringing this up without knowing the actual reference, but talking about uh, the ex opere operato. Yeah. That, um, yeah. From the outward this, act. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, we, we, so, especially if you read through the Augsburg Confession, the apology of the Augsburg Confession, and the discussions on the sacraments as they respond against the Roman Catholic Church. Um, the argument that the Lutherans are, are establishing there is that the, the sacraments do not work ex opere operato, which means from the outward act. They just by don't the simply work by the performance yeah. of the sacrament. And, and, you know, if that was the case, we could stand on the corner, you know, with a, mm-hmm. a fire hose pumped into the fire hydrant, hose everyone down, yell at them as they pass by, I baptize you in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we'd be creating Christians left and right, right? That's not... The statement, but at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, we don't want to measure the effectiveness of Holy Communion by the measure of the sincerity of our faith mm-hmm. either, because it's God's word that is important in the sacrament. And so, you know, here is where we debate that unworthy clause from 1 Corinthians 11 saying, if you go to the sacrament in an unworthy manner, it's for your judgment. It's not mm-hmm. that, again, you just received a snack because you don't believe it's doing what it says it's doing. It's actually to your spiritual detriment. Mm-hmm that you're heaping unrepentant sin on top of unrepentant sin. Right. Yep. Hmm. So it's a yes, no, whoever believes, calling people, they're blessed by believing mm-hmm. in the in what is being received. They're blessed by their mm-hmm. faith in the sacrament, but it is not their faith that, that makes the sacrament yeah. effective. Right, right. It's effective irregardless of our faith. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because some of that is carried out even in Protestant churches where, you know, like if uh, a church is without a pastor, uh, they'll wait for an ordained pastor to come before they'll mm-hmm. get served communion. And um, that's not necessarily something that has to be done that way. You know, I'm not saying that 
you know, that these people are totally doing something that's not right or whatever. I, I don't want to, I don't want to like rip on it, but at the same time, I, it's not dependent upon that piece of paper. It's not dependent upon well, and, and the we, ordination. It's, 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 it's something that is dependent upon the word of God and the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and we would recognize that the sacraments are gifts that are given to the church. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. not specifically given to the office of the ministry. Now we emphasize the administration of the sacraments under the office of the ministry because of our desire to follow the pattern of letting everything be done decently and in order. And yeah. so yeah. we would say right. on the one hand, and a congregation has called a pastor to administer the sacraments so that it's done decently and in order. And mm-hmm. because the pastor has trained to do gospel ministry through the means of preaching mm-hmm. and administering the sacraments and leading the worship and, and being the spiritual shepherd of the congregation. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, there are some differences here because of our heritage of lay activity in the FLC. Part of the difference is our, you know, I believe, and uh, we'll have to clarify this later. Yeah, when we have our special guest. Yeah, I believe the Missouri Synod uh, states that an ordained minister has to administer the sacraments in the Missouri Synod, and that's a part of the confession and polity of their church, which is fine. What we say in the AFLC is, especially in the cases of the absence of a pastor, if the church's leadership appoints a lay person to administer the sacrament, that act in and of itself has kind of an ordaining function to it that now the congregation has called this person Mm -hmm. to do that. So, you know, a lot of our rural congregations that are in the middle, in the between pastors, can't afford a full-time pastor or without pastors, aren't left without receiving the sacraments because their deacons uh, on behalf of the congregation can appoint someone to administer the sacraments. And, and, and we say they're, they're doing the same function as a pastor in that way with the caveat that, you know, it's not the best because that person hasn't trained, but at least we don't have congregations going for weeks on end without receiving the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yes. And I think that's the key there. You know, we're depending on your situation, you have to just do what you can. And in you know. this case, again, this would be an adiaphora, which is a, a something that is not laid out specifically in scripture one way or the other, that there's a right way or the wrong way. And it's an adiaphora that's based on church polity. Yeah. And so this is not a commentary on the rightness or wrongness of how the Missouri Synod does business. This is not an apologetic on the rightness or wrongness of how we in the AFLC do it. It's acknowledgement that these are the differences and this is why the differences are the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. One question I've been kind of holding for this episode to both of you, how do you uh, proceed with, Paul gives a warning mm-hmm. in First Corinthians 11, how do you um, implement that within your service? How do you use that? So the, the way we kind of do the exhortation in the warning clause, first of all, our exhortation to communion uh, in our liturgy that comes from our hymnal helps set that up a little bit. Uh, the other thing that we do in our bulletin uh the we have two parts to our bulletin we have the main sheet but does anyone really read the bulletin yeah, well right, right, right. we have the main sheet that is the order of service that people follow through like a roadmap and then we have the bulletin cover which has all the announcements and and, and things mm-hmm. printed on the during communion sundays on the front cover of the bulletin we have an explanation of what we print or what we believe, we have an explanation in print of what we believe about Holy Communion. and basically says that if you come forward mm-hmm. to receive communion in our congregation, you are coming forward in agreement with this statement of faith. And then Brian, to, to the extent, does anyone really read that? After the words of institution, 
what I say to my congregation is, if you're visiting today and would like to know more about what we teach and believe and confess about Holy Communion, you find this explanation printed in the front cover of your Mm -hmm, bulletin. mm -hmm. And they're directed to that every single time we serve communion. Uh, I've been reading a book called Worship as Repentance, a Lutheran Liturgical Traditions and Catholic Consensus by Walter uh, Sundberg. Actually, I got it from our ambassador publications. Oh, they I've sell never it there. heard that before. Uh, one of the things that the author really stresses that's really got me thinking is that church practice, early church practice, was a really strong sense of, um, of that warning. And he gave as one example how First John chapter 1 is written, you know, where it, it ends with the warning. Mm-hmm. As as Juan does. And so this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God and with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, most people stop there, mm-hmm. but the word doesn't. It continues. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then again, the positive again, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. So because of the structure of the word, he goes, oftentimes we don't as church end on the law he goes, but early liturgical practices promote that, hmm. that we end with the warning and we don't end with the gospel. How do you guys feel about that? It's, we would on the one hand say that law gospel isn't a formula. Yeah, and so when great, we say law and great. gospel, it's not law then gospel. And so we say there's nothing wrong with ending on a statement of law, especially when the gospel has been clearly proclaimed. I think actually it's not, it's not from the early church where we have the hesitation to dwell on the warning, I think it's actually from the realm of Lutheran pietism in the 18th and 19th centuries, at least as far as the AFLC mm-hmm. is concerned. And we have our heritage in the capital P pietism as yeah. a church movement. And now uh, unfairly so, and, and this is one of the things I combat, a lot of people in the conservative Lutheran church treat pietism as a, a, as a synonym of legalism. legalism it is right. not. Yep. Um, you know, and It's kind of been some mission creep on the definition mm-hmm. of that term. But capital P pietism uh, coming out of, uh, you know, uh, Philip Spener and Pia Desideria, his father in the faith was Johann Arndt in true Christianity. Johann Arndt was actually Johann Gerhard's pastor. Mm -hmm. And Gerhard is one of the most beloved theologians in the conservative Lutheran church that ever was. Mm -hmm. But anyway, from this pietism, there was a lot of emphasis on forced prescribed piety from a law emphasis. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is kind of where you get your no playing cards, no dancing, uh, you know, I don't uh, drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with girls that do kind of uh, <laughs> thing. And what ended up happening is especially, and this was happening in Luther's day, he writes about it, but especially in the Norway, there was such a heavy-handed emphasis on the unworthiness of impiety that people weren't coming to the Lord's Supper at all. And Luther addresses that in the, in the large catechism says if you're not coming to the to, to the lord's supper there's something going on here you, mm-hmm. either you are a victim of false pe- of false preaching 
uh, or you are not understanding what the sacrament is all about. The sacrament is there precisely because we are unworthy. And the warning clause is for those who are unrepentant. And and, and that's yeah. where First kind, John- Kind of similar yeah. to the unforgivable sin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very similar to that. And your reading of that First John 1, 5 through 10, that's really helpful because First John is explaining the, the, the problem in the danger of unrepentance is not only its self-deception mm-hmm. that we're lying to ourselves, but in fact, we are lying about God and we're making God's opinion of our sin to be a lie. We're not even, we're not, mm-hmm. and we're not just alienating ourselves from God. We're alienating ourselves from the body of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you, you tie that in theologically with the rest of scripture, especially in the New Testament. We've mentioned this a couple of times in the podcast before too. All you need to do is go to the second half of Romans chapter one, Romans 1, 18 through 32 or 33, that Mm. section, it starts with the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness of men who in their ungodliness suppress the truth. That's the warning statement. And so you're sitting there after Paul has made this great gospel declaration, right? That uh, the the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Great gospel statement. From faith for faith. From faith Mm -hmm. for faith. And he says the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and you're waiting for the wrath of God to hit. And you're waiting and you're waiting. You read through Romans 1, 18 through the end of the chapter there. And where's the where's the lightning? Where's the smiting? Where's the judgment? And in, if you're not paying attention, it never shows up except for this phrase that is repeated three times in Romans 1, 18 through 32 or 33 again. And it's God gave them up. Mm-hmm. And the danger of unrepentant sin is that God judges your unrepentant sin with more sin. You Isn't know, that interesting? It's, it's not the Hurricane Katrina. It's not the cancer diagnosis. It's not any of these tragedies and atrocities in life. Is your yeah, unrepentant sin ends up turning into more unrepentant sin. Mm-hmm. And that's where we the quenching of the Holy Spirit you know, is, is our failure to repent leads to more unrepentance. Yeah. And, and yep. that is wrapped up in the discussion then of this unworthiness clause mm-hmm. in First in Corinthians 11, primarily receiving communion unworthily is receiving it with an unrepentant heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you implement yeah. it into your service? Yeah, I know I, I, I've been listening and thinking and and I guess I'm, I'm coming to this, this whole topic feeling that I haven't done a very good job with this in my congregations through the years. And, you know, as a pastor, when we're talking about who is receiving the Lord's Supper, I just have the mental images of row after row of people around the altar and the actual handing out the elements. And, you know, to be honest, I, I, I think of the snapshot of the actual people. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people where, you know, I wonder if they're receiving it to judgment. Um, and as much as I want to say all the right things beforehand. And I guess I maybe my approach has been more standard, go by the ministerial acts book yeah. type, of, type of deal. Um, you know, as pastors, we sometimes, at least I do anyway, I feel I want to help people avoid that condemnation. But I can't, I guess I, at the end of the day, I can't burden myself with somebody else's sin and disbelief. No, if you give and, a, a, a healthy warning, you know, we're not mm-hmm. the communion police. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, uh, but at the same time, if we know for certain, I kind of I kind of picture it almost mm-hmm. like in the court of law. If I have um, DNA type evidence, I have mm-hmm. absolute evidence that this person is living in unrepentant sin, sure. then I'm going to go talk to them and try to establish mm-hmm. and foster an environment of reconciliation. Absolutely. Right. But I'm also going to ask them until something changes— yeah. 
not right. to partake of communion, but for someone that I only think or have, you know, circumstantial yeah, evidence that they right, might right. be, I, that's between them and the Lord. Sure. You know, yeah. and, and this is where something where we as pastors on both mm-hmm. sides of this issue yeah. need to sit back and remember that it is the word of God right. that is doing the work in the sacrament. And so we need to mm-hmm. step aside and let the spirit do his work with the word of God. Yep. And we try you know, to become the Holy Spirit. Well, that's the thing. Yes. And, and yeah. I, there's probably something said for putting an emphasis on examination. There's absolutely something to be said for us continually catechizing our congregations and making sure that their confession is an informed confession. But at some point in time, uh, we can't prevent the people in our church from sinning. And that's not an unloving thing to say. It's, It's true in every area of life. I mean, you're not, you know, behind... Mm-hmm. someone's car at the drive through making sure they only order two tacos and don't order four tacos yeah. at Taco Bell or, you know, w- that's not how we operate in any other area. Now, we want to do this in a loving way. We want to do it in a pastoral way. But at the same time, we confess that it is the word of God that is the active element in the sacrament. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can make a special statement, the, mm-hmm. the exhortation to examine ourselves. Yeah. But at the same time, it is also enough that we have been preaching law and gospel throughout the entire service because that is the nature of how God works through his spirit. That the law that we preach, whether it's the confession of sins, whether it's the the lyrics of the hymns that we're singing, uh, whether it's the law that is the essential element, uh, you know, one of the essential elements of the sermon that Mm -hmm. we've just preached, all of that is the Holy Spirit working on the hearts of the people who are there to convict them of sin. And at the same time, the gospel that we have been preaching through the absolution, through the words of the hymns in the Mm -hmm. gospel, Mm -hmm. that is what is raising them to new life. And at some point in time, we have to sit back and say, can the Holy Spirit work faith supernaturally through the word of God to bring this person up to the altar in a repentant manner. Yeah, absolutely. And our theology of the word dictates that we have to allow for that possibility. The Lord and giver of life. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Amen. So it's a tension. And, you know, this is part of the Lutheran thing is we have to live in that tension. Yeah. Do we do the best we can? with what we've been called to do to prepare people, yeah. to exhort them, to examine right. themselves, to to check the fruit of their repentance. Again, someone living in unrepentant sin, you know, I we think have to be aware that's of where that. I, I feel as a pastor in the moment that Sunday morning, sometimes I, I'm reminded of my lack of failing in certain pastoral duties to, yeah. to pastor well, to teach and to confront and to call people to repentance. Well, and, faith. and I think, you know, we can look at it and, and not to, to fall into the trap of recency bias, but it's maybe even harder for us now as pastors than it was for pastors two, three hundred years ago to go through this process. You know, two, three hundred years ago, Christianity was much more of a cultural thing. So in reality, you would have actual unrepentant sinners. Mm-hmm coming to church and the pastor, you know, would have to be out there knowing that because everyone came to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. The thing. Now, I mean, how many unrepentant people really are going to be coming to church? They just don't come, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a different set yeah. of problems. Well, there's it makes, always that peer pressure thing. No, it's like, yeah. oh, I can't not go well, because then people are going to know yeah, right. that, I, you know, yeah. but I, I, I kind of consciously try to keep track of the people as best I can. Mm-hmm. I, I look out and see, well, if there's visitors that I don't know, then I'll, I'll give a more detailed warning. Mm-hmm. If it's people that I, I know, yep. you know, especially the, for the first service, it's easier for me to keep track of than, than our second service. But 
Um, but there is a balance and you can't go too far one way or the other. You kind of have to walk that delicate balance again between Mm -hmm. law and gospel, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, because if you go too heavy handed with it, well, no one's going to come up. And then, but if you don't say anything at all, then I think in some ways we're kind of doing a disservice. Yeah. Doing a disservice to the real presence of Christ. You know, there's all the specificities. We could do case studies and, you know, as a pastor, I try to make sure I connect with the visitors in my congregation before the service. It's not always possible because we do Sunday school right before the service. And so I have about a 10 mm-hmm. minute window <laughs> to get myself ready. Um, but, you know, doing that, training our deacons and the spiritual leadership of the congregation to make sure that we're introducing ourselves to visitors and things. And in smaller congregations like mine, it's more of a real, realistic possibility than if we had 400 worshiping on mm-hmm. a Sunday. But yeah, it's in the end, in the end, what we have to do is we do our best. We try to live in the tension that God has given us. We only go where the word of God permits us to go, but we absolutely go where the word of God permits us to go, like you were mm-hmm. saying, and everything else we entrust to the grace of God. Yep. Yep. God, God forgives us for our pastoring, mm-hmm. you know, Amen. and it's, it, I heard a pastor say, God forgives us for our repentance yeah, and God forgives us for our forgiveness. When we need to forgive someone, we never forgive in the same way God forgives, yeah. even though we pray in the Lord's prayer. Right. Yeah. And so we entrust everything to the grace and mercy of God. And that brings us back mm. to the blood, the flesh and blood of Christ, Amen. the body Amen. and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Cool. Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to end here with the warning, um, just in honor of Christ's incredible gift and the gracious gift he's given us in salvation and in the sacraments. And I'll begin in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and myself continue our discussion on Holy Communion. God bless you and have a great week.